Greetings, Australia. Welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast, Stand Up Sits Down With, a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week, we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week and separate the BS and propaganda so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So today on the show, vigilantes take control over their neighbourhoods in Rockhampton after youth crime becomes unbearable. Who announces a big catch-up to vaccinate millions of children and restore immunisation? Progress lost during the pandemic. 700,000 migrants to enter Australia in the next two years, threatening to exacerbate the housing crisis even further. And last but not least, Ireland's Ministry of Truth introduces Thought Crime Bill to banish hate speech. This week, we're joined by the amazing Robin Shooter again. Welcome. Hello, hello. And uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Robin before, we're doing the video again this week uh, after some good feedback last week. So yeah, um, anything going on in your world? Robin, always like to hear about new articles and anything you're doing. Yes. So uh, on my Substack, I am working through a, a series. I actually don't know how many parts it, it's going to go on, to be perfectly honest, but, but it's called... Um, uh, academia and the, and the new dark age and it's, it's basically like it's it's on a, a theme that arose when I heard uh, Brett Weinstein interviewing a, a philosopher by the name of, of Steve Patterson and in brief Patterson has this thesis that we've actually been in a dark age since at least the early 20th century which is a really really intriguing idea and uh, uh, again the nub of it is that uh, what he means by dark age is that the quality of thinking that has emanated from so-called intellectuals and so-called scientists for the last hundred years is absolutely shite. And so there are all sorts of, of, of uh, ideas that people believe to be true and they're just not because they've never been established with with any degree of of um uh of of rigor of scientific rigor. So yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like that's that's come up time and time again, especially recently with the, I mean, cholesterol. One of them, you've got the um, the amyloid beta plaque um, yeah. scandal. You've got, yes. you, you know, you've got the antidepressants, which you know, all these all these studies that just keep not being able to be reproduced. And there's just a ton of them. There's so much going on. Um, I'm not sure if you've listened to Asim Ahotra on Joe Rogan. But. I've not yet. I've heard little snippets of it, and yeah, in in terms of his uh, his what he has to say about statins, I couldn't agree more. Now, in terms of the lipid hypothesis, that's a whole other conversation, and there's actually areas of that 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 he gets quite wrong. But yes, that's that's probably a, a talk for another day. But in terms of statins, like it is absolutely astonishing that they are so widely promoted, given the the tiny um, effect size. Yeah, definitely. It was more the the just the peak behind uh, what a doctor, especially one who publishes papers, goes through. Yep. when challenging the system which i found really interesting so if anybody anybody wants to listen to that it is a really good window into into why the system is so corrupt 
Uh, And really seeing a doctor who seems to be at his infancy in realising how corrupt it is as well. So Yes, he's he's an interesting case, isn't he? Because he was such a proponent of the the COVID jibby jabs when they first came out. And, you know, he as he freely admits now, he was promoting them to, you know, people of colour in, in the UK in particular and saying, Come on, you know, everyone, all the minorities line up and get your shots. And then of course his dad has a heart attack. He attributes that or, or suspects strongly suspects that, that it was induced by the fact that his dad had his COVID shots. And then, you know, starts discovering that the uh, that, that there was more to medical corruption than what he'd identified before, because he he, you know, he has been a contrarian in terms of uh, cause, causation of heart disease and treatment of heart disease for, for some number of years. But I think like many people, he thought, oh, there's just this small sliver of medical practice that, that's a bit off, but the rest of it is fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. It couldn't, it couldn't all be corrupt, could it? Oh, no. It could, it, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole domain of human endeavour couldn't possibly be built on quicksand, could it? <laughs> couldn't? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's get into it shall we uh we've got let's a we've got a few stories as we said at the start here so i'm just going to share my screen which i will do right now <laughs> <laughs> ta-da all right Lovely. All right, so we're going to start off with this video. Um, now, this is to do with our first story, vigilantes in Queensland. And, uh, yeah, find it very interesting. So um, let's give it a crack. Community leaders are calling for calm tonight with fears vigilante tensions will boil over. Angry Rockhampton locals say they'll continue to confront alleged youth criminals as the police commissioner warns someone will die. Anger, passion, frustration, all the ingredients for a powder keg to explode. I wish I might get robbed at the f***ing ATM. 100 fed-up Rockhampton locals took part in yesterday's action surrounding homes of people they believe responsible for break-ins and other crimes. 30 police officers called in to keep the calm. Really what that does, it just uh, leaves the rest of the city exposed to... Uh, having a lack of police to attend to other jobs. Local businessman and former One Nation candidate Torin O'Brien leading the group. After his sister was broken into, the Muay Thai fighter putting a post on social media asking for the address of the culprits. An 18-year-old father who ran from the home appeared in court today on unrelated robbery offences, refused bail, the police raising concerns for his safety. I put something on Facebook and said I'm going to get my family stuff back and a couple hundred people came with me. Taking the law in your own hands is um, fraught with danger. You go tell the people that have lost loved ones recently, you go tell the people that have a car and can't go to work anymore, you go tell them just to let police do policing and see how they feel about it, because they will laugh. Not laughing, the police commissioner. Be careful. What we'll end up with is a death. People putting information on social media is not always correct. I think we've got to be incredibly careful about that. Further home visits are planned for later in the week. Local Indigenous youth ambassadors now worried the vigilante action will lead to racial division. Rocking up at people's houses, um, at mistaken houses, um, and, you know, and having a mistaken identity, you know, that's just going to cause more harm. 
Jessica Millwood joins us in studio now. Jess, where to from? All right, that's probably enough of that one. You there? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so as you see there, um, I've got a bit more about some overseas stuff that's going on, but, I mean, as far as that goes, you're seeing quite a lot of it, the, the trust in police is, is mm -hmm. dropping. Um, the social issues seem to be expanding. Uh, I'm not sure if I can blame it all on the police um, because, you know, it can only be in so many places at so many times. But I know you live in, you live northern Queensland. Well, probably, what are you, central Queensland? Central, um, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you have you have seen some of these issues, haven't you? Without a doubt. And you, a couple of weeks ago, we discussed this story about uh, Queensland recruiting overseas police because they, they couldn't actually fulfil their recruitment quota uh, from Queensland. And so we know that there's a, a shortage of, of police. Uh, we know a good part of the reason for that. A bunch of them quit because they didn't want to get the COVID jab. Now they're attempting to recruit overseas trained police, which as far as I can see, is just absolutely fraught with danger. And uh, look, there, there's there's no doubt whatsoever. I mean, we have a police station um, in the town adjacent to me that that is only staffed three days of the week, and then that that police station actually shares their staff with another police station. So they're over, you know, the the the, the local coppers are over there four days of the week, and um, you know, we've been told by by locals like if you have any trouble on the weekend when when the local police station uh, isn't staffed, good luck. You know, the the the, the coppers aren't going to come to help. So obviously, when when people are feeling or well, when when they are noticing that crimes are being committed in their areas and the police are uh, not appearing to take action on it or certainly they're not getting their stuff back they're they're the the uh, criminals not being followed up there doesn't seem to be prosecutions or when there are the sentencing is really lenient and these people are back out on the streets again and committing more crimes people get pretty fed up so yeah this is this is a loss of, of trust in institutions and a a sense that um I would not be surprised, especially given the you know unfortunate racial element to this situation in Rockhampton. I very strongly suspect that that the the local population uh, is is of of a mind that if the offender or the suspected offender is let's just say of a minority racial yeah. origin, that they're not going to be pursued as vigorously for their crimes. Now, whether that's the case or not, I can't say. But just looking at, at that brief little segment, that certainly seems to be the the attitude that that the residents have. Yeah, it is interesting. I can't I can't talk on that because I'm not sure what the the rates of um, incarceration is up there for different races, and if they get off a little more leniently because they are a certain race to, to others. But you often hear that they get uh, treated. I mean, I'm talking about Aboriginal people here. They get treated worse off. Um, in jails, I'm, I can't can't comment on that at all. Yeah, but, but I mean, there was a royal commission on into deaths in custody on 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 just that topic. Um, I can't remember how long ago that was. Uh, so I mean, you know, feedback from friends of mine who live in a in a border town, so on the border of Queensland and New South Wales, um, they recently have had a crime spree in their very small town and it's openly discussed among the locals that this this happens once a year my, my friends are new to this border town but um, the locals tell them all oh, this happens once a year 
and Indigenous youth from, from another town come into this town at around about the same time every year and go on a crime spree. Again, I mean, I can't speak to the veracity of this, right? This is this is information that's being relayed to me by, by friends. Um, but certainly there's a widespread perception that there is a, a certain untouchableness, you might say, to people who appear to be embarking on a career of criminality at a young age and the the police, you know, perhaps because of the widespread perception that, that their treatment of Indigenous people has been grossly unfair in the past, that they're kind of taking a hands-off approach. Again, I mean, look, I haven't delved into the crime stats to see um, our uh, Indigenous people who are convicted of a crime. Are they sentenced more harshly than non-Indigenous people? I, I, I don't know. That would be an interesting thing to, to look into. But again, you know, we're clearly looking at at, at a at a a perception by local residents that yep. crimes that are being committed by Indigenous people are not being followed up on. Yeah, well, look, I'd be more inclined to to trust what the local residents are saying rather than any any news uh, corporation who's telling you the former. Yeah. I know, but coming from, <laughs> um, mm. sorry, my son's just handing me a piece of paper with a note on it. <laughs> Yes, in a sec, mate. In a sec. Um, <laughs> so, I come from Victoria originally, and down there we have a lot of a lot of crime to do with African gangs and migrants um, coming in, and it goes it goes widely unreported in the media because there is a bit of a you know a a bar on on saying where people come from or or what color their skin is and everything like that. Whereas in the opposite. Um, You've got seem to have more focus on people who have a little bit more pale skin um, committing crimes in the newspapers. Um, so there's a lot of this race baiting going on. There's a hell of a lot of it, and even in even in this story here, I've got a follow up article here in the Brisbane Times, which is just shows you the race baiting that is going on. So as you can see here, we've got. Police have charged two people with trespassing and expect to charge more. After identifying four members of a vigilante mob, and it says here, whose names and images were shared online by former far-right patriots leader who had once been a candidate for One Nation. So far-right, as we know, is immediately your racist, right? That's yeah. well, another way of the, saying you're racist. What what is the definition of far right? I mean, what what are his what, what are his characteristics, or what does he state that marks him out as being far right? I, they just don't even bother to define these terms, do they? They they they're just they're just epithets that are thrown around like racist and sexist and homophobic and whatever else. Yeah, yeah, and the, just the, the language here, like far right, obviously the the definition of that is anybody who's not far left. Um, so <laughs> yeah. well, let's, let's face it, that's what the definition is these days. Um, but even here it says, is a $5,000 reward for the addresses of people linked to an alleged break-in in his sister's homes. Linked to an alleged break-in. So almost like mm. they're saying it didn't ab- actually happen and these guys are just mm. after Aboriginal people. Mm. So, mm. well, look, I'm, I'm not saying that there isn't racism that goes on in Australia because there clearly is. There is racism that goes yeah. on in Australia. Yes, I, yes. I, I don't think we can get around that. But the, 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 the question here is, is the question here is, what, what is the perception 
of the people who are the victims of these crimes with respect to how law enforcement is treating the the the, the perpetrators or the believed or suspected perpetrators of these crimes, right? And as you say, there's a strong race baiting element uh, in this. It reminds me very much of the of the story. Um, that, that broke in the US of the the young black homeless person who was um uh who was harassing a I believe she was a pregnant woman on a on a train in the new New York subway. Yep. And been arrested 42 times for been arrested. Yeah, and, and the previous day had attempted to to push a, a youth onto the train tracks. Um so this was not a sort of you know friendly character who was just a little bit loopy. Um and of course, he was uh, a a twenty four year old white um, marine, I believe he was certainly a yeah, he was in yep. the military anyway. Um, applied a chokehold to him and maintained that chokehold for fifteen minutes, and 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 the you know the the homeless man died. Now, um, what was all over the media, of course, is uh, this was a white guy who killed a black guy. Like, yes, okay. Uh, what does that have to do with the actual facts of of the case what evidence do we have that there was a racist racist motive to this none none whatsoever but that's what the media want to harp on and so what i find interesting and james james corbett has has discussed it this has discussed this at length is out of everything that goes on in the world we are presented with a tiny sliver of events through the so-called news and that that sliver that we are shown is not chosen at random. It's it's chosen for for particular reasons, and it's presented in a way that that uh, conforms to particular narratives. And that's what we always have to keep in mind. So you know this this um, so called vigilantism in in um, in Rocky, the uh, this, this this case in New York, these are all um, presented by the media in a very, uh, what I would say is a very coordinated fashion. It's all divide and conquer, all divide and conquer. Definitely, definitely. At, at the very least, people have to realise the media is for profit yep. most of the time, unless it's not, and that it's generally sponsored by a government body which mm. has its own agendas. So I'd say that's for profit too. It's for the profit <laughs> of their mates. <laughs> yes. Yep, they'll push whatever agenda they want. So it's, I mean, if you want unbiased news and even even independent media is not really unbiased because we've all got our own agendas to push. But hmm. um, but in the end, if you just look at it without getting into conspiracy theories or anything like that, it's for profit. They're going to push the most out there narrative that's going to yep. rile the most feathers. If it leads, it bleeds, all this sort of stuff, yeah. It leads, yeah. It Provoke outrage, people will click and share and all that sort of thing, whereas you know, they're not going to share as many good news stories, are they? Like the good Samaritan yeah. who, who you know, assisted a homeless person on a train, like never gets into the media. No, of course not. Of course not. It doesn't sell. But, yeah, going going back to the, the story about the police, like I, I just think it's absolute rubbish, uh, the explanations for a lot of these, why why there's no action taken. Because if you go back to the the pandemic and you, during the, you know, the lockdowns and you'd have... 10 cops rocking up on a pregnant woman's doorstep to tell her that she's going to be arrested for putting up a Facebook post or something like that. Whereas real crimes are being committed and the police yeah. are not what we saying. So no wonder Let, there's visual tromping through shopping centres, finding people who weren't wearing a face nappy. I yeah. mean, is that a good use of policing resources? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And there's no, 
there's no like you know secret why there's absolutely no faith in these people mm. you know and i mean we're a long way from haiti at the moment uh, from where they are but you see the extremes over there i've got a little story here about haiti i'm not sure if anybody's heard about this because it hasn't really been covered on our mm. on our um uh, our news media but haiti at the moment is taken to because the the police are so corrupt over there and they've been bought out by the gangs and they've been also being controlled by a certain point by the United States to, mm. de, you know, to mm. destabilise the country, to take their resources and mm. probably probably their young children too, if you if you believe all the... Um, the... Largely <laughs> through the age or under the ages of the Clinton Foundation, by the yes. way. The role yes. that the Clinton Foundation has played in in the rape of, of, of Haiti, and I mean that figuratively and and quite literally as well. That actually links to to one of our subsequent stories, by the way. We'll, we'll come back to that one. But, yeah, the, the degree of corruption of, of the Clinton crime family is uh, is it's stupefying. Um, and, and the you know the resources that they have ripped out of Haiti um, under the aegis of the Clinton Foundation just absolutely stunning. So, yeah, yeah, they've created a hell on earth in 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 Haiti. Oh, they certainly have, and it looks like the locals have finally had enough of it because yeah. over over the last, I think it's about a month now, there's a, a movement they call Juan Carle, and this is where they actually going back after the gangs that have been. Yeah. terrorizing neighborhoods so what they're doing they're getting massive groups of people now to go through the cities grab these gang members torture them kill them and then burn them yeah. um yeah. much like much as you see on this picture here there's tires so um this is actually a, a, a method that was picked up by um the south africans <laughs> during during um, um their sort of torture um this is one of their torture methods they used. Um, I think it was um, Nelson Mandela's tribe <laughs> that that mm -hmm. uh, popu popu um, popularized this. Mm. But so, yeah, so this is the extremes that's happening right now. And this is what happens when uh, a society completely loses faith in their system and they're finally mm. taken into their, in their own hands. It's, it's horrible to see because it's while there are people that are generally – probably deserve it um there's plenty of there's going to be plenty of people that don't caught up there, in this too there, there will be collateral damage there's no doubt about it and the other thing to bear in mind is that while while many of the people who 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 you know end up in these gangs that have been terrorizing the people they're just flat out psychopaths right there's something seriously wrong with them not everyone who joins the gang is 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 of that psychopathic bent um Certainly, you know, gang culture in the US, for instance, there, there's a lot of just, you know, young homeless men who are being abused at home. Um, their mothers are on drugs and neglecting them and whatever the heck else. And then they, so they, they find this sort of family in a, in a gang. Now, does that, do, do, does that make it forgivable if they go and shoot someone as, as, as part of a, you know, as part of gang violence? Well, no. It's just that, you know, we need to have some, understanding of what makes people end up in in gangs like this and you know is is the answer to gangs terrorizing people terrorizing the gangs jeez I, I don't think it is but i also don't know what the answer is right because the answer clearly is not some other country going into haiti 
and and intervening in their in their politics to try to sort this out because we've seen how that ends. So that's not the answer. My my strong suspicion would be if you actually remove foreign influence from Haiti. So if you pull out the you know the CIA funneled money that that's destabilizing the country, they probably would sort it out. But I don't think that they would sort it out you know entirely peacefully. Not after what's been done to their country and what the impact of that has been on the people. No, no, it's 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 very strange because you've got Haiti and then right next to it you've got the Dominican Republic, don't you? And it's on the yep. same island. It's yep. only it's only separated by a border. And you've got yep. Dominican Republic, which is, you know, a developing Apparently country. Apparently quite well functioning, yeah. Doesn't yeah. have the same sort of stuff going on here. So it's yeah. clearly something to do with the politics going yeah. on. And it's it's clearly got a lot to do with the the interference mm. um that's being I got another I got another note. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I better I better sort this out before I get another note. <laughs> Good plan. Um, there we go. All right, so um, <laughs> I've sorted that out now. Okay, I've sort of lost I lost my train of thought there, so we'll go on to the next story anyway because yeah. I'm okay. pretty sure we've we've discussed that. Um, so the next story here is the World Health Organization. There are always a story. Oh, they always got something going on, don't they? So, World Health World Health Organization. This is directly from the website. The who.int global partners announce a new effort, the big catch up to vaccinate millions of children and restore immunization progress lost during the pandemic. So we spoke about this a little while back about their uh, concerns that people were sort of losing faith in vaccines mm-hmm. or hadn't taken them over the, over the um, pandemic. So it says here, uh, the pandemic saw essential immunization levels decrease in over 100 countries, leading to rising outbreaks of measles, diphtheria, polio, and yellow fever. The big catch-up is an extended effort to lift vaccination levels among children at least to at least pre-pandemic levels and endeavors to exceed those. Led by a broad range of national and global health partners, the big catch-up is also aims to ensure stronger primary healthcare services for essential immunization in the future. So as you can see here, the... The people who are really sponsoring this is the WHO, UNICEF, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, I know that at least three of those organizations are pretty much Bill Gates. So you can fill yes. the Gates Foundation by name. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Bill Gates is the leading sort of non, non-national non uh, financial contributor to, to the WHO. Uh, Bill Gates is the founder of Gavi. Um. So, I mean, what what are we looking at here? These these are basically just different faces of the same coin, aren't they? And uh, this this whole notion that that immunization is essential to get these infectious diseases under control. Let let's face reality here. They've been jabbing the living daylights out of these kids and adults in developing countries for decades. And the rates of, of, of serious illness and death from infectious disease are still up the wazoo in these countries. You know, meanwhile, rates of, of serious illness and death from infectious disease in developed countries fell off a cliff long before 
vaccines for almost all of these conditions were were introduced, okay, Mm -hmm. especially at population scale. The difference is that we had what I would call real public health implemented in the West. That's sanitation, so clean drinking water, removal of, of, of sewage and human waste, proper disposal of, of, of rubbish, uh, adequate housing, okay, uh, uh, adequate housing meaning, you know, clean clean housing, but also a lack of overcrowding, so not having, you know, three families sleeping in a single room. Um, electricity, allowing people to, to, to have refrigerators to keep their food fresh so that they could eat more fresh food. All sorts of, of again, I, I would call these genuine public health measures. And as a consequence of all of that, you know, long before vaccines for almost all these infectious diseases were were introduced, we we had anywhere between sort of ninety to virtually ninety nine percent decline in, in in death rate from these infectious diseases. So, yep. you know, it is. Uh, it, Bill Gates is not a stupid man. Okay, uh, you could call him lots of other things, but you couldn't call him stupid. He knows this. So why does he keep pushing vaccination? Instead of putting his uh, his brain power and his financial resources into figuring out how we how we help these people to clean up their environment, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much money put into this, mm. whereas, and it's only in the third world countries that they're funneling money into this. And it's you know, you see how much he made, really doubled his wealth during the pandemic. Is that true? Um, being a philanthropist, so technically you should be losing wealth if you're a philanthropist, right? Uh, yeah, but mm. of course, as as you know, the uh, the money making arm of, of the venture. So of course, these these are tax exempt foundations, right? This is a way of actually dodging the necessity to to pay tax uh, to the American public by by funneling these resources into a, a tax exempt foundation. But that that foundation then invests. So there's a trust that invests in a whole range of companies that then generate income for the foundation. And what does he invest in? He invests in vaccine companies. He invests in companies uh, that, that are producing, you know, fake meat and, and the, you know, disgusting, revolting um, synthetic breast milk. That's uh, Biomilk, one of his ventures. And um, um, uh, so basically, you know, uh, he also, the, the, um, the trust invests in, in companies that make junk food. So they have really heavy investments in, for instance, Coca-Cola. So don't, don't tell me that this guy is a philanthropist who's a proponent of human health. Uh, he he is a monopolist in the same way that that he established Microsoft through, through stealing other people's intellectual property. And he established um, uh, Microsoft to, to basically put a monopoly over the supply of software, which previously, you know, uh, people who developed software, they were just geeky guys who like tinkered around with stuff and then shared it around. Well, Bill Gates didn't like the idea of of, of, of software being open source and, and, and freely shared. He wanted to monopolize it. Yep. So he takes that same attitude that that spawned Microsoft and for which, you know, because people people forget the, the antitrust um, violations that, that Microsoft um, – was well basically found guilty of um, back in the nineties. I mean, you know, he was built. He he's a corporate criminal. Bill Gates is a corporate criminal. Okay, um, how do people forget this? How do they think that? Oh, he set up a charitable foundation. Now he's a good guy. 
yeah, people hear charity and, uh, you know, it's the, it's the war on language, isn't it? Just yeah. the the way people can just say, oh, it's charity. Oh, it's for your mm. health. Um, mm. Yep. It's yep. And then people go, oh, it's for your health. How can you, you know, you got a problem with people's health? I'll be opposed to that. Wrong with you, you know. <laughs> charity, you don't like charity? It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. not what is killing people. So um, what I know at least one of these diseases they're talking about making a comeback as well, polio has been eradicated from the earth generally except for places where there's high vaccination rates yeah where where it is the vaccine strain of polio it's, which it's gets the, yeah into it's the, the live supply. virus the live virus so the oral polio vaccine yeah. like that's the strain that they keep finding in in you know the 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 bowel motions of people who contract polio it's the vaccine strain obviously we need another vaccine to fight the vaccine strain of vaccine polio don't we we, so, we just need better vaccines yeah just better right. ones yeah. mrna vaccines you know the ones oh, that there's the ticket. <laughs> the ones that last about five days. And then, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to bring up one more thing in this article because I thought this is quite funny. Um, over, over the COVID pandemic, plan, sorry, pandemic, um, we always heard, we, we see Africa, you know, Northern Africa especially, it's like, where's all the COVID cases up there? And they're like, oh, well, they don't, they don't have very good, uh, you reporting. know, tracking yeah. or reporting yeah, over there. Yeah. So, but there's there's this um, sentence here. It says, although global coverage levels have declined, there's also been bright spots of resilience. For example, early reports indicate India saw a strong recovery in essential immunization in 2022, while Uganda maintained high coverage levels during the pandemic. Mm. So they're able to track the the vaccines. <laughs> but That's a really interesting point, Mitch. Okay, so you know how many people you've jabbed, but you don't know how many people got COVID or died of COVID. Really? Okay. What, yeah, what what, what accounts for that strange inconsistency in, in the reliability of data gathering? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is, of course, I mean, this this was uh, identified in, in the US in the, the latter half of 2020. Um, so what what they found is that there was this sudden um, drop in sudden infant death in the United States, mm. which interestingly, and, and, and so the death rate, uh, the, the, the death rate only dropped in a particular segment of the child population. It was, so it was the infant mortality rate, which is basically um, between birth and, and one year of age. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was uh, coincidentally associated with a decline in, in, um, uh, parents, you know, fronting up to these supposed well-child appointments, which are basically excuses to get you jabbed, get your kid, you know, jabbed up to the eyeballs. Yep. So really interesting, really. It is, it is, isn't it? Because all the other sort of drops in mortality around that time could be easily explained, you know, mm. from you know, less vehicles on the road and yeah. less, less deaths of um, accidental deaths at work and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But, yeah. you know, a, a toddler or a baby doesn't work. They're just born yes. and then they're looked after. So yeah. that doesn't explain. The only thing really can ex- that can explain that is the vaccines. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the only thing, but it's certainly a strong contender, right? Like you'd 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 have to you'd have to rule it out as opposed to to saying, well, no, that's that's ridiculous. It couldn't possibly be correlated. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. And uh sorry, I was 
No, it's falling completely out of my head. Never mind. Um, one thing I just wanted to say about this about this um catch up program is, and it wasn't mentioned in that WHO article, but um Chelsea Clinton has become the the spokes muppet for this particular campaign. So I just find that particularly interesting. Like the ties between all of these um you know philanthropaths, I think is a great term that um. Margaret Anna, uh, Margaret Anna Ellis, I think it is on 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 Substack. That's the name she writes under. She came up with this term philanthropath, which I think is is really genius. So all these philanthropathic families are just so in with each other. So you've got Gates spearheading this, you know, catch up the 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 you know the brown and black kitties with their vaccines, and 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 who do they choose as the spokesmuppet for it? You know, Junior Clinton. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till I don't hear that word Clinton anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I know they're just sort of like tools of the super super elite, but um, yeah. in the end, yeah. less Very Clintons, the yeah. better the world. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Mm. Now, what I go over to this article that you sent over me earlier um, from Aaron Siri, and. Is doing some amazing work here. Uh, and so people who aren't aware, Aaron Siri is a a um a lawyer who's got his own own firm called Siri and Glimstad, I think it's called. Yes. And so previously, and probably a year and a year and a half ago, the FDA were saying that they didn't want to uh, re- release all the papers to all the trial results from from Pfizer and Moderna. They said it was going to take 75 years. Mm. Um, because they can only give out, you know, 500 pages a week or whatever. And there's such an enormous amount of papers in this thing that it would, you know, 75 years later, people aren't going to be interested in this stuff anymore. So it'd be dead. Yeah. So, um, so he, in conjunction with ICANN, actually went after them and said, no, you need to do better than that. So they got that to be released over what, like a five year period, was it? I believe it's five years. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so uh, as it says on the article there, the FDA. By by the way, I think this is really worth pointing out. These Pfizer documents, which which of course um, Aaron Siri managed to get get a judge to order the release of. So this is what Naomi Wolf's organisation has been um, analysing and putting reports out for the public on. These are the Pfizer documents, but um, it really bears underlining that it wasn't. It wasn't directly Pfizer who was saying, no, you can't have our our, our paperwork. It was the FDA, mm. right? So this is the regulatory body, the taxpayer-funded regulatory body that is that is supposed to be there to ensure that only safe pharmaceutical products go on the market for Americans to use. And if these pharmaceutical products are found to be unsafe, that they promptly get taken off the market. It was the FDA who who said to the public, no, you can't have them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy. Like... To think there's a difference between the FDA and Big Pharma now, or you just yeah. you've Revolving need to door. grow some brains. Complete and utter regulatory capture. I mean, there there is there is no difference. There is no functional difference between the so-called regulator and the pharmaceutical companies they're meant to be regulating. So so yes, um, so Aaron Siri basically did to Moderna, um, or, or did to the Moderna documents that FDA has what he what he had done to Pfizer last year. So the FDA now has to cough up these Moderna docs. Brilliant, isn't it? So Pfizer's clinical trial for 12 to 15-year-olds. Um, mm. He said, we explained to the court the importance of timely production. Once again, FDA claimed it would be impractical to release the estimated 4.8 million pages mm. at more than between 1,000 and 16,000 pages per month. 
Or in other words, at least 23 They managed to read all those millions of papers in a couple of months in order yes. to grant these products approval. So that they could read them in that time. They had enough staff to do that, but they don't have enough staff to release them to the public. Okay, I see. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure if you've, I forget the name of the show now. It's the one about the um, OxyContin crisis. It's a, mm. um, a series dope, they had on. Dope sick? Dope sick. Yeah. What you watch that show? They got such such critically acclaimed um, reviews, and people are like, "Oh, big pharma! Look what they've done! You know, look what they're doing with this stuff." And then they're quite willing to sort of trust them in this. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But you see, there's one scene in there where they've requested the the documents for the trials, and they've finally won the court case. And what rocks up is about maybe ten or twelve moving trucks full of actual physical documents. And this is why there is 4.8 million pages. So they can do a document dump on the lawyers themselves. Yes. And, and it takes overwhelm them, them. Yeah, overwhelms them. But I suppose now with, um, you know, you could put this on a website like Naomi Wolf. Now she's asking for people to help out. Uh, I know I can set up a, a searchable index as well of all these pages. Yes. Yeah. So now is, anybody is, can go in and look. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're basically crowdsourcing analysis of this and it's absolute genius. So so I know that, you know, Naomi Wolf's got a great organisation going. Um, you know, she's appointed a, a sort of like a chief operating officer who, who uh, uh, doles out these documents to the appropriately qualified experts that have volunteered their services so that they can analyse them, right, rather than just drowning in the sheer volume of these documents. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's not going to – it's not working out for the FDA the, the way that they hoped it would, and that's a good thing. There are some judges left in the US, at least, who aren't completely bought. That's yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I think um, – here too, it looks like some of the judges aren't bored as well because this federal judge in an amazing decision sta- started by stating that democracy dies behind closed doors yeah. and ordered them to produce the files. Millions of pages in just two years amounting to a rate of at least 180,000 pages per month. So mm-hmm. that's that's fantastic. They're finally getting someone on their side in, yeah. in these courts as well. So yes. it looks like we might be actually making some progress here, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, whether whether the the people who are responsible for this are ever brought to account, look, I I, I don't know. We we live in hope, but yeah, at least at least the entire judiciary isn't isn't bought the way the FDA is bought. Now I'm just going to flip over to this. I'm not going to read this article because it was wasn't the article I was really interested in. It's actually it's actually this, and I wanted to get your take on what is going on here because here's the graphs for. Influenza, rotavirus, strep A, streptococcal, and urineosis, whatever that is. Oh, yersiniosis. It's yersinia. Yeah. Yersiniosis? Mm. Okay. So what is yersiniosis? Um, so yersinia is a uh, yersinia pestis. Um, uh, sorry, searches, searches brain. Yersinia is associated with, I have to look this up, um, I I believe I might be off here. I believe it's some sort of gastrointestinal infection, but okay. it's something. It's something that I, 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 I can't think of a single case of eosinophilia that I've ever seen. So it, it's pretty rare. Um, rotavirus, of course, is a really common gastrointestinal virus that that a lot of kids get. It's like a daycare virus, you know. Um, and group A strep. Well, that that's a that's bacteria. Eosinophilia pestis. Um, is it a bacteria or a parasite? 
Ooh, I have to look that up. Yeah, I mean, it could be a it could be a parasite. It was in a streptococcus, a bacteria, isn't it? So, bacteria, yes. Yeah. That's um, yeah. But this whole this whole article was about the new strain of XBB and uh, how we're basically getting. This is a Queensland story. So this is how Queensland seems to be getting sicker this year than any other year. So mm. I'll show you this graph here. So we've got influenza, obviously mm. disappeared in 2021 because everybody's wearing masks and stuff. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you got rotavirus, yeah. which was declining. Yeah. 2021 yeah. had little. And now we've got a, a record amount again. Mm. Strep has mm. gone up to 2023. It's gone double the cases it was in 2022. Mm. And then urinosis, which you were saying, or urinosis, sorry, which you were saying is quite rare, is now we're seeing 443 cases. Yeah. So that's that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, my personal opinion here is that people have been jabbed so much as that they've destroyed their immune systems. But I just wanted to get your take on that. Uh, I agree with your analysis. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there's been there's been a lot of kind of you can't really call it ink spilt when when you're writing online, can you? There've been a lot of articles written um, a, a, about the impact of the the COVID jabs on people's immune function, and in, in particular, this this phenomenon whereby uh, the immune system becomes what's called fixated. That's the term for it, immune fixation, where essentially the immune system is being trained to only go after one particular uh, what, what's called an antigen, like a, an immune response invoking substance let's just say and uh and then it it becomes uh unable to see unable to fight other other antigens so um that's that that would that to me is the most likely explanation for for what we're seeing i mean look there's other things that i i would need to look into in order to rule them out um for instance have had the tests for these other diseases changed that is um, are there new test kits that, that are circulating that are perhaps more more sensitive or more error prone than, than the previous ones? Are more people being tested? Okay, because you you find what you're looking for, and yeah. so if you're not testing people for influenza, you're not going to to find influenza, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but the the most likely explanation is people's immune systems are just buggered. Yeah, yeah, man, you do raise a good case there. I mean, I know people are still, especially some people I see walking around with masks on, still are still worried about the COVID. So they're probably maybe getting a little ill, going to the doctor and getting tests for that. And then they're like, well, let's test yeah. for something else. And then they come up with that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that is a big then- jump though. And then when when the uh, so when when the health department you know issues circulars to to hospitals and GP practices and so forth saying there's an RSV epidemic you know you should you should suspect RSV if someone comes in with respiratory symptoms then a doctor who sees someone with a runny nose might might order a PCR test for RSV whereas in the past they just haven't even thought to do it right because why would you bother RSV is basically a common cold virus it, it, it's a uh, it, it is responsible for a lot of our respiratory tract infections but on the whole they're very mild unless they occur in really little little kids under the age of of, of of uh of 12 months particularly under the age of six months the rsv is common cause of bronchiolitis which can make little kids really sick little little weeny tiny kids little infants really sick um but you know kids almost universally get exposed to rsv basically as soon as they start mingling with other kids so as soon as yeah. they go to, to preschool or daycare or kindergarten they get 
you know, so many strains of RSV, you wouldn't even be able to type them all. So why why are we now having this fear of RSV, you know, rammed up us? Because of course there are there are trials for two RSV vaccines on foot. Um, one GSK and the other Pfizer, I I believe. And I'm sure there's I'm sure Moderna's no, Moderna is working on on one as well. So in other words, you have to create the market for the yes. vaccine by 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 uh, creating fear in the public about the disease. Okay, so that's that's what we're in the midst of now. It, it's so Roy Moynihan, uh, who's an Australian journalist, coined the term disease mongering. Disease mongering. It's basically where where you either create a diagnosis out of whole cloth, so social anxiety disorder. You know, when you and I were young, that was basically shyness. You know, or um, 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 what's what's it uh, what's it called? Premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like being grumpy before your period. So, but the so there's a feel for that. Uh, there is. <laughs> Do you know what it is? What is it? Some sort of heavy yeah, duty yeah, SSRI. It, uh, yes, it's actually the very first SSRI. So when Prozac was getting very close to the expiration of, it, of, it, of its patent, Prozac, of course, was the first SSRI. So it was really, really close to the expiration of its patent. And so so uh, it was Eli, Eli Lilly. Yeah, Eli Lilly was the drug company that, that brought us the miracle of Prozac. So they repackaged it. Uh, it was originally, I believe it was a blue pill. They repackaged it as a pink pill, changed the dosage, and marketed it as Sarafem, and then invented premenstrual dysphoric disorder as the condition for which Sarafen was an appropriate prescription, and then they got to extend the patent. Wow! Yes, the miracle yep. of pharmaceutical marketing. So, 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 um, disease mongering means either just inventing a new disease that doesn't exist, right, or taking an existing one, which is just like background. Yeah, people deal with it. People deal with rotavirus. They deal with RSV, and then suddenly whipping the public up into a frenzy of panic about it. Um, I got an email the other day from a client. She she had she was forwarding on a message that she got from you know some someone that she buys stuff from, um, saying that that uh, saying that they should exercise great care um, because the WA Health Department was was warning that there was you know an, an outbreak of RSV. Right. So in other words, the, the the government kind of markets, the government in cahoots with the pharmaceutical companies, market the idea that a disease which has always been there in the background is so much worse this year, so mm-hmm. much worse, I tell you. You know, it's coming for you and your granny and your kids too. I noticed in that article that that you had on screen before. Um, that that one of the doctors who was interviewed about this this XBB or whatever the hell strain of of of, of uh, COVID of, of SARS-CoV two, um, the doctor commented that it appeared to be much more transmissible, but there was no evidence that that it was causing any worse illness. Yeah. So, like, why is everyone losing their proverbials about this? It's a cold virus. That's yeah. all it is. It's a it's cold a virus. Common, it's an endemic common cold virus. That's where well, we're at. When you look back at with what we've purchased, ten vaccines for every Australian, is it? Oh the, yeah, the government. So oh. they got to they got to sell it somehow. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, break, you know? Absolutely. So it says yeah. here in that same article just below that it says, unfortunately, it's also seems 
be good at, at evading antibodies from previous infections and vaccinations, he says. But, but um, take your booster anyway, right? Yeah, vaccines are still good, still good now. They're using the word good rather than amazing or whatever else they use for preventing severe disease, pneumonia, and, and death. Evidence, please. I'm actually, the- sorry, this is actually this article actually says for preventing severe disease, pneumonia, and severe disease and death. So they've actually said it twice for some reason. Yeah. And yeah. and yet, as as you well know, Australia's death rate from, from COVID, I mean, take that for, for what it's worth. What, what what the hell is a death from COVID, right? Is it with, is it from, is it what? But anyway, the, the, the deaths in Australia that have been attributed to COVID only went through the roof once people got their jibby jabs. Yes. <laughs> so like, oh, so it, it, it reduces your risk of, of, of severe disease and death. Right. Okay. Yeah, well, it would have been more without it, though. would have been like... Yeah, you know, clearly. Should have, you, you know, you, we're lucky we didn't see the uh, figures without the vaccine because it would have been 10 times worse. Oh, it would have been Neil Ferguson level disaster, you know, oh, like, yeah. like, like all the other disasters that Neil Ferguson predicted that never happened. We wouldn't be talking today, Robin. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We're, we, we should be grateful. The miracle of science. Working at the speed of science too, which is... um. Fast, apparently. Certainly. As we know, lots of people lost their jobs, got injured, or just generally gave up and retired during that time because of the the um the mandates and just the general sort of feel across the country. Lots of people left the country too. Yes. Um so our next story focuses on that and this uh it's from news.com.au. It's Tight rental squeeze forecasts more than 700,000 migrants flock to Australia by 2024. Mm. So more than 700,000 people are expected to move to Australia by the end of the year, adding to the squeeze on the nation's already very tight rental market. So the Albanese government uh, second budget handed out on Tuesday night is forecasting a temporary migration boom, reflecting a one-off catch-up after the COVID-19 pandemic. So... In the actual documents themselves, migration, this is their forecast for 2023-2024. It's 190,000 people. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at at least another, what's that, 110,000, 60,000 on top of that for next year, and then we're looking at another 350,000 a year after. So this is off by 50%, basically, or 100% if you want to look at it like that. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of this skill shortage is because people have been fired. They're not yeah, going to go back. Yeah. I know a lot of nurses that and midwives and all sorts of are never going to go back to that industry again. Yes. Because they've lost they've lost faith in it. They um, have absolutely no desire to participate in in a, a psychopathic system that yeah. that completely betrayed its obligation to, you know, first do no harm. Yeah, they 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 aren't going back there. Yeah. Definitely, and you, we've got we've got them saying that it's a catch up. So we're saying that people have moved out of Australia. We're not getting the students anymore. Uh, we haven't had the migration, but yet we've got a housing crisis. I'm just not sure yeah. how it works when you've got less people coming into the country, mm-hmm. and for some reason we've got less houses. I don't remember there being an enormous rental crisis, you know, sort of four years ago before the pandemic. Do you? I know, like it was hard to get a property a lot of the time, but not to the point yeah. it is now. We got less than, I think up here it's 
less than half a percent or something of uh, vacancy rates. rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people just just you know basically bidding to get a rental place. You know, offering the the landlord more rent than is than is advertised, and 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 then obviously you know out competing people on low incomes. And then the government response to that, which is well, we'll we'll pay you a, a rental assistance um, supplement. Of course, introduces distortions in into the market, and so landlords feel justified in whacking up the rent because oh well, what the heck? You know, people who who can't afford the rent will just get a government handout to to make up the difference. So, yeah, it's uh, I, who knows the truth of this? I mean, it does seem seem utterly insane to me that when we've got a housing crisis in this country, we're going to flood the country with new people. Like, where are they going to live? Yeah, it's just it's absolutely insane. Like, we're going to flood it with um, people, and we're going to put people up in the Pinkenbar Quarantine Centre. So it says not a magic solution to homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the one of the quarantine centers that they put a you know a couple of hundred million dollars in, which is basically just an empty room. But you're seeing homeless people up here all over the place now. Mm-hmm. Lucky it's warm, to tell you the truth, because yes, it freezes to death. Otherwise, they'd be just dying on the streets, wouldn't they? It's it, it's horrific. Yeah, we see a lot of that. Um, not not so much in in my very small you know, nearest town, but in in the largest town that's close to me, there's a there's a huge homelessness problem. And yeah, once again, like thank God it's not really, really cold here at night. Yeah, definitely. I mean it's, I know a lot of a lot of nights you could sleep outside quite comfortably. But you know, mm. and at the same time you've got Queensland here um offering seventy thousand dollars to move to Queensland to work in health services. Yes. Um and I've got a little clip here just sort of explains a little bit further. Unfortunately, it's from the, the Today Show, so take it <laughs> with a grain of salt. But We are going to get to our top story this morning. It has been revealed that Australia will experience a surge in migration with arrival figures hitting an all-time record over the next two years. Live now to federal politics reporter Fiona Willen. Good morning to you, Fee. How many people are expected to arrive? Well, Jane, we've learned around 400,000 migrants will enter the country this year, so that's around 165,000 more than forecast in the October budget. And that figure is expected to top 715,000 over two years. Now, this blowout is largely due to the return of international students and working holiday makers following the reopening of borders after COVID. And while it may be a one-off surge, concerns have been raised over what it'll do to the already tight rental market. The opposition is demanding to know the impact it'll have on housing and infrastructure. The federal government has indicated that it's working with the states to find solutions. This week, the Home Affairs Minister announced plans to overhaul the migration system to make sure we're getting the type of talent that we need here. Claire O'Neill says there needs to be greater focus on getting permanent migrants with the skills needed to fill shortages in sectors that are really crying out for them. Jane? Fiona, thank you. So, yeah, once again, they're saying it's to fill the skill shortage. Yeah. So, you know, Malcolm Roberts has pointed out that we've still got 7,000 nurses in Queensland alone who were stood down or or, or quit because they didn't want to take the COVID jab. So, you know, rather than dropping stupid requirements uh, to, to, to have that useless injection, you know, the, the government instead wants to import nurses from other states, other countries, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely insane, insane. The thing that worries me is that um, obviously we're an island, so it's we don't get the same sort of migration as um, the rest of the world does. 
Mm. You've seen millions and millions of people coming to Europe, um, yes. which is, you know, there's parts of Sweden that are just closed down now because they're like little mini um, Iraq war zones, you know, there's yes. bombs going yeah. off and all sorts of stuff yeah. like that. It's um, essentially ghettoized. Yeah, yeah, ghettoized. So what 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 I'm sort of theorizing here is possibly is this part of a greater agenda migration wise to destabilize um, and just bring in the people that are going to be subservient to the mm. governments, the ones that feel lucky to be part of a civilized society. Well, not one say civilized society is a little bit a little bit low saying that, but mm. you know, a, a society that's a little bit more wealthy um and well yeah. off and can look after where, 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 where people still think that well immigrants that is think that they they are going to have a greater opportunity to you know make a decent life for themselves and their family than in their home country well this always gets back to the to the question of like are we looking at incompetence or are we looking at malice and it's really i i, I don't know how you spot the difference i mean to me it seems utterly incompetent uh, that a government is is going to be, you know, importing people from overseas rather than, you know, hiring local people who who have the skills, have the background, they've worked in these industries for years. The only reason they're not in their jobs anymore is 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 because they were driven out by the by the COVID jab mandate. Um, so you know that. It, it, but, but is that incompetence or is it, you know, because as you say, we see this all over the world. We we see, and, you know, people like George Soros, you know, backing open borders, backing the idea that there should be no nationalities, that, that we have to break down people's um, um, sense of community and their history and their traditions and, and, and just, you know, every, uh, every country will, will be, Basically, McDonald's eyes, right? So, so you won't be able to spot the difference whether you're in Sweden or whether you're in France or whether you're in Ghana or whether you're in Australia. It'll it'll all just be the same. Not yeah. in the sense that you'll have the same coloured people, you know, like the same like white people here and brown people there, and black people there. But you just you're just going to have, you know, a mix of all of these different people wherever you go, so that no one has any distinct culture or traditions or, or you know, basically national sense of themselves. Yeah. Well, that's the great replacement theory in a nutshell, isn't it? And, like, I know that gets talked about and it's, you know, as being a racist white nationalist sort of theory. But oh, yeah, like, far-right tropes. Yeah. Just look at the evidence right now. I mean, look yep. at Title 42 is about to expire in the United States yep. and you've got you know, hundreds of thousands of migrants about to come over the border. I mean, Donald Trump the other day said he reckons it will be about 4 million by the end of it. So um, that is just insane. Uh, You know, I looked at a clip earlier with Ted Cruz saying there's 10,000 people coming over the the border every day, and that's before Title 42 expires. Yep, 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 yep. And there there will be an absolute avalanche of these these people once it expires, yeah. And, again, where are they going? Uh, what what are they? Where are they living? Do do they do they have jobs? Um, what are they going to be? It's it's just, how how can a country where you've got such incredibly high rates of homelessness already? How can that country take in all of these people from different cultures who are not necessarily they don't necessarily have skills? That are going to be useful in in the United States. They they don't um, necessarily have proficiency in the language. I mean, what the hell is going to happen to these people? And why why do this? Why not just let these people come in, but invite them to come in? Why? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, one thing you say about the states, the people that are coming in aren't going to ask questions. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what they're told and they're going to vote Democrat. Yeah, and that's yeah that that is that is a big part of it. I'm not sure that that is the full explanation of it, but that's certainly how the Democrats see it. They want these people to come in because yeah. they because the Democrats will say, "Well, we'll give you this, that, and the other handout," and then of course they get those people to vote for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, there's a you got, we can't overlook the reasons as well. Was that why do people want to come to our countries? It's because we've destroyed their countries. <laughs> that's a really or, good point. sorry. Not we, our governments. Have our governments, it. which are not us, and they don't represent us. They don't represent our interests. That's that's a really important point. But yes, if if our governments stopped, or or the or the deep state that runs them, if they stop messing around with other countries and destabilizing them, many, you know, many if not most of the people in those countries would be perfectly happy to stay in you know in their home country with their families following their traditions, speaking their language, actually making something of their own country because it's not being screwed up. It's, it's not having its resources ripped out of it. It's not having its political system destabilised by by the meddling Western cabal. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's one thing I've never been able to get behind is the people that just say no to immigration. Well, mm. you know, asylum, asylum seekers. Yeah. Because... Look someone in the face that's come from Sri Lanka after the war and tell them that they're not allowed in our country. Like, yeah, fellow human beings, let's all have a heart yeah. here and and yeah, and, you know, and treat and, it and, case and by you, case. Yeah, I mean, how how about the uh, the wave of, of Vietnamese immigration into Australia after mm. the Vietnam War? Well, you know what? We actually sent soldiers again. We, you know, our government sent soldiers over there to bomb the crapper out of these people. Okay, so although. You and I or our parents um, didn't vote for that. We still have a moral obligation since our country was involved in wrecking their country to to you know resettle some of these people who've been driven out of their country because of the actions of our government. It's my take on it anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so yeah, the answer is stop messing up other people's countries. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess up the countries, and they won't feel like they have to come to our country. Yeah, that's a little bit too simple, though. I think. I think we need some something a little more complicated than that to sort out this very simple solution. <laughs> All right, so our last story of the evening is this little doozy from Ireland. And if you think this is going to stay in Ireland, then I've got news for you. This is a plan for the rest of the world too. So this is what is in Ireland's new so-called thought crime bill? How many years in jail can you get and which parties are backing it? So they've got a new hate speech bill that has been passed now and so where are we the criminal justice uh, incitement to violence or hatred and hate offenses bill 2022 as a whole seeks to amend the law relating to the prohibition of incitement of violence or hatred against a person or a group of persons on account of certain characteristics of the person or the group so in a nutshell that sounds reasonable right you don't want people inciting violence get people no it's it's actually not reasonable and here's why violence is an action now i'm all in favor of of in, uh, of having laws in place such that if people either commit violence or show a clear intention to commit violence that you know the law can intervene and can and can stop them or or can you know um uh, charge them and punish them after the fact hatred is not an action okay 
So violence, I can see if you're being violent. I can see if you hit someone or you throw a stone at them or whatever, right? How how do I detect that you're experiencing hatred? How do I do that? Like, is it something that you're thinking? Am I going to get inside your head? So no, I don't think this is reasonable at all because yeah. the whole idea that, that you can police you can police thought, that you can police attitudes is just um, not only is it ridiculous and impossible, it's against every principle that, that basically guides Western democracies. Definitely. And, and who decides what's hateful? So these are the protected characteristics of what is hateful. So you've got race, colour, nationality, religion, national or ethnic origin, descent, gender, sexual, sex characteristics, sexual orientation or disability. So if you are deemed to be hateful or inciting violence um, to one of these characteristics Mitch, here. Which, which race? So, yeah. so if, a, if a black or an Asian person um, says disparaging things about white heterosexual males, is that a hate crime? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We, I think we all know the, the answer to that. Yeah, um, you all know the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, right now, a conversation, this whole conversation could be deemed as being inciting mm. violence or hatred, couldn't it? I mean, the way we've talked about uh, migration, um, you know, we've we've talked about the police, uh, we've talked about vaccines, um, you know, any of this could be construed any way they want. Mm, so, absolutely, yeah, yep. Says importantly, this is, is the bill's definition of what gender means, the gender which a person expresses as the person's preferred gender or which the person identifies and includes transgender and gender than and, uh, uh, gender other than those male or female. So if someone, let's say the, uh, theoretically, if you were to say to someone, hey, mate, how are you going? Actually, I'm a I'm a woman. Yes, How dare you call me that? That's hateful. That's hateful speech. Yeah. You've offended yeah. me. You've yeah. committed a crime, and yeah. you're you're not looking at a fine here. This is I think the the penalties are up to twenty prison years sentence. in jail. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it, it's a prison sentence for misgendering somebody, or, yeah. or for or for just expressing sentiments. Um, and, and look, I mean. Oh, Clearly, I'm not in. I'm not in favour of racism or sexism or uh, disparagement of anyone on the basis of of characteristics such as the colour of their skin or their sexual orientation or whatever the hell. I'm not in favour of that, but it is not a crime. No, it certainly is not a crime. It's not a crime, especially when it's been decided by governmental organizations to mm. what, what the punishment is behind this yeah and and again i mean my my question is why why is this happening because it's not just happening in, in in ireland you know it's it's already happened in scotland and then you've got this ridiculous um uh it, it's now an offense to silently pray on the street uh, a, a woman, a woman was actually charged with this in um, I forget the, I forget what town it was in Northern England. She was silently praying, or she she was charged with silently praying outside of an abortion clinic, right? Not not confronting women going into the abortion clinic, not harassing staff members. She stood outside the clinic and silently prayed. She wasn't holding a sign. She wasn't saying that people were going to go to hell. She stood outside the clinic. And, and she silently prayed. 
In fact, it wasn't even clear that she was silently praying, that the police officer who who arrested her and charged her had to ask her if she was praying. (laughs) That's how non-obvious it was that she was praying, right? And she was actually charged with with, with praying outside an abortion clinic. Now, however you, you feel about abortion, whether you think it's a woman's right or you think it should have limitations on it or whatever the hell, I mean, do you really think it is reasonable to charge a woman with silent prayer outside an abortion clinic? Is that the country that you want to live in? Because right, this is this is coming to a country near you. Yeah. The, the, the crazy thing about this law is that they actually did a um, little um, symposium or town hall with a bunch of um, you know citizens and 75% of them said this is ridiculous, but they still yeah. pass. They still pass the law. Yeah, absolutely, mo- yeah. mo- the vast majority of submissions um, uh, to when, when this bill was was announced were, were people saying, "Are you out of your minds? You know, we're, we're not in favour of this." Yeah, yeah. and, and I mean, what what is what is really concerning is that um, just just scroll down again. There was something about incitement. Um, and uh, and communicates uh, intent to incite violence or hatred. So um, how do you judge someone's intent? To have been reckless as to whether such violence or hatred is thereby incited. Reckless. Okay, so so if I if I make a comment and then someone hears my comment and and goes and takes a violent action, um, and I don't even know that person and I had absolutely no intention to provoke them into an act of violence, what? I'm still going to be held liable for that because somebody who might have been mentally unstable or might have misheard me, misunderstood me or whatever goes and yeah. takes an action. Like this uh, this is Orwellian. I know that I know that um, adjective gets thrown around a lot, but this is seriously Orwellian. This is thought crime. Oh, it certainly is. I mean, look at this, look at this one. I just saw this one here. Um, Section 8 deals with condoning, denying or grossly trivialising genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity and crimes against peace. It says that to behave in a public place in such a way or to communicate material this kind will be a crime. So what this is one year in jail. So mm. what mm. let's say, uh, you know, the whole Ukraine versus Russia thing at the moment, let's say you were a little bit sceptical of everything and maybe you thought that, you know, um, there was a little bit more to what's going on and you were spouting this out in the street, maybe in a demonstration. Yeah. You are now liable for that as yeah. you know, trivialising genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity because that's exactly what the UN and, and you know, the um, and um, the court, what's the court in Netherlands called again? Uh, the International Criminal mm-hmm. Court. International yeah. Criminal but Court. But, I mean, my, it's funny you mentioned Ukraine, Mitch, because that, that was exactly the example that, that came to my mind. So so if I say I, um, I suspect that the Ukrainians are committing crimes against humanity, I'm not saying the Russians aren't, I'm saying that the Ukrainians are too, Um then what, you know, because that's not the politically acceptable uh, attitude toward the Ukrainian war, like can I can I be charged with this offence because I say, oh, hang on a minute, I think the other side's committing crimes against humanity too. And by the way, what is a crime against peace? Is it a crime against peace when Boris Johnson flies over to talk to, to, to Volodymyr Zelensky and says, hey, I hear you are thinking of having a little powwow with, with, with Putin to work out a a peace arrangement and i'm not in favor of that that's a crime against peace when does bojo get charged with this <laughs> what a mess what a mess and yeah. I, re- I really feel for them over there um yeah you said yeah. scotland what? before 
Yeah. I think yeah. the the guy maybe you're talking about was this guy Count Dankula. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Who he was jailed um, not for a long time, was he? I think he maybe was he jailed or he get a house arrest in the end. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not familiar enough with the with the details, but, but he got convicted anyway because he taught his he taught his dog to the sick hail. He, which I thought was friggin' hilarious, um, but he got done for hate crime. He got done for inciting something or other. But anyway, he's he's got a bit but of a take but, on but, his. But it's totally cool for the Ukrainians to have the Azov Battalion, you know, with the with the Nazi insignia. And you know the the little um, uh, pictures of, of of Adolf Hitler that they pay homage to. That's cool. Yeah, the Azov Battalion, the one that the Christchurch shooter trained with before he went and massacred all those people in New Zealand. That would be the one. Yeah, but yeah the, the one the one that's um that's fermenting that there's actually you know training right wing militia or far right militia. What what the hell does right wing or far right even mean? Anyway, sort of ultra ultra nationalist or white nationalist militia in in the US. What do they call that? The uh the right right um right alliance right right axis yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, Azov got... is absolutely up to their gonads in in all of this, you know, fermenting of of ultra, you know, white nationalism throughout the world basically. Yeah. Chapters everywhere. So yeah. Yeah. But here's Count Dankula in the um in the flesh talking about this this law. Remember how the big uh, stink that I made about uh, the Scottish hate crime law that wanted to give you seven years in jail just for possessing an offensive meme on your phone that made uh, Scotland the most authoritarian part of the United Kingdom and it made us tumble down several places. I think it was about 11 places we fell in the Freedom Index. Well, Ireland looked at that and thought, that sounds smashing. Why do we don't need rights? People don't need rights. Who needs rights? The liberal democracies at work. Uh, new hate speech laws uh, kick up a storm in Ireland. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. has even taken aim at the proposed leg legislation, labelling it insane. Uh, Elon Musk even said the same thing as well. New laws aimed at curbing hate speech have sparked controversy in Ireland. The updated legislation will create landmark laws to deal with hate crimes, making it an offence to deny or trivialise genocide and expand protections to include gender identity and disability. Now there's an amazing part in this. I hope this article mentions it. If not, I'll mention it at the end. Uh, opponents of the criminal justice bill have raised concerns. The charges go too far and will stifle free speech. They are, they, that's what they do by design. Stifling free speech is literally the point of it. Like, like I said, see how China's, China, you can't fucking say anything without getting your door kicked in. Same as North Korea. Uh, it started as uh, bigotry laws. Uh, racist laws and blah 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 hate speech laws that's how they started and we're going down the same path you know liberal democracy is authoritarianism driving the speed limit uh, however defenders say ireland's current legislation has been outstripped by the internet and contains significant blind spots <laughs> yeah we do have laws that let us infringe some rights but they don't let us infringe rights enough <laughs> yay government uh, Minister for Justice Helen McKenty, who first published the bill, uh, currently making its way through the country's parliament, uh, hit back at claims that speech would be restricted. Hit back at, oh, I'm dying to hear this argument. Hate speech and freedom of speech are two separate things. <laughs> there it is, right away. 
Yes, uh, you do have freedom of speech, except for things that we deem to be hate speech. And what is hate speech? Well, it's whatever the government decides it is in the moment. It depends. What do I need? <laughs> yeah. Clown world, hey. Absolute clown world. Absolute clown world. And and again, I mean, my, my question is, is this incompetence or is this malice? I mean, show me one example of of a uh, of legislation that limits people's freedoms of speech that has changed their attitudes in a positive way. Show me one example of that happening. You don't change people's attitudes by criminalizing their thoughts and their speech. You change people's attitudes by by um, engaging in constructive dialogue with them, by presenting them with with examples that sort of contradict their their pre existing beliefs. So, so this is either this is either incompetence. The people passing this legislation know absolutely nothing about how humans operate, or it's malice. They're deliberately doing this because they know that it will spark, um, uh, it will enrage people, and people who would. Who were previously getting along just fine with with you know people from whatever the ethnic origin or sexual persuasion or whatever the heck are now going to be so enraged by the fact that they can't even crack a joke, and, and sure the joke might have been in bad taste. You know what? That's humor. A lot of jokes are in bad taste. It's why we laugh at them. Yeah. Because laughter is 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 the relief of tension. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, and 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 you know comedians of various uh, different ethnic backgrounds and and um, remember Steady Eddie, the oh know, yeah, the Steady yeah, Eddie, like, yeah, just ma- making uh, uh, making jokes about disability, right? When he himself was a was a was a was a disabled person. So what is is that now hate speech? Like if Steady Eddie does a comedy routine about uh, where where people laugh about disability. Is that is that hate speech or is that uh, a guy who is using comedy to help himself cope with his own life situation and to sort of you know um, by 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 causing people to laugh, perhaps sort of changing their their perceptions of people with disabilities, right? Because that's how I would see it. In the same way that you know when you see a black comedian. He gets up on stage and and you know makes jokes about black people about black people's culture right and then white people laugh at it and black people laugh at it and brown people laugh at it too. I, to me, to me that that is more likely to cause white people to have a more favorable attitude toward black people because they're kind of like taking the piss out of themselves. Yeah, and we all feel more kindly disposed toward a person who has the humility to take the piss out of themselves. I mean, the whole trans movement side, isn't it? If they were prepared to take the piss out of themselves a bit more, I think people would be more accepting rather than being yeah. told you're you know, transphobic every time you mention anything that's to the contrary. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring up the, the comedian thing because I hadn't thought of that. This, I mean, comedians, how many how many world-class comedians or even comedians in general are going to go to Ireland now with these laws in place? No, there, there is no way that any any comedian is going to be able to say anything remotely funny. No, imagine George Carlin would be in jail within about two seconds of his show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and comedians like Lenny Bruce. I mean, um, God almighty, no one is going to be able to say anything that is actually funny. 
And because woke comedy is about is about as funny as being slapped with a wet fish. Mind you, the fish slapping dance from Monty Python was pretty funny, but but <laughs> yeah. But in general, being slapped with a wet wet fish not particularly funny. So yeah, I this is this is the death of of, of comedy. It's the it's the death of satire. Um, everything that kind of makes life worth living is being destroyed. And again, is this incompetence or malice? I'm sorry, but I'm tipping in the direction of malice. These people yeah. want to make life miserable. And it reminds me, it reminds me of, of, of you know, um, what was attributed to 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 Lenin um, in the early days of the Russian Revolution. Basically, you know, his motto was the worse things are, the better. In other words, cause such chaos and such dissent and 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 such suffering that that people um will do anything to to try to make their lives better including swallowing whatever nonsense program you push at them yeah so I, I, that's that's my take on on this you know th- th- these are intentional efforts to make people's lives completely intolerable yeah i i, I tend to to lean in the the um, by design camp as well now. Um, I heard someone say the other day, you know, well, these you know, extremes always happen. You know, people go too far and then they mm. and then they mellow out. Um, you know, eventually it goes back. But the problem here is you're getting laws passed during this time and laws are very yeah. hard to get rid of. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, once the statute is on the books, it's really difficult to repeal it. I mean, yeah. hopefully, and I have no idea about the legal, the Irish legal system. Hopefully, there will be a, a, you know, some sort of whatever their version of a high court challenge to to the constitutionality of this. Um, I I hope there's some, you know, uh, eager beaver lawyer, an Ar- the the Irish Aaron Siri who who yeah. challenges this and 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 gets it knocked out because. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's just it's absolutely horrific. You know, the 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 cure to bad speech is more speech, yeah. right? If someone if someone is mouthing off with some really bad ideas, you know, sexist, racist, bigoted, whatever, the 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 cure to that it isn't to shut them down. It's it's to engage them in discourse where you basically present better ideas than the crap that they're spewing. But if you censor people, you 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 just you cause them to attract a bigger audience because like I'm censored, so so what I say must be worth listening to. Yeah, not necessarily. You could be an absolute dickhead, but but if you if you slap someone down and say you can't say that, suddenly people go, oh, government doesn't want him to say that. I'm going to listen now. Yeah, yeah. Sunlight's the best disinfectant in the end, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, uh, with that last amazing news um i think we'll probably leave it there for the for the day <laughs> before we get jailed for hate speech <laughs> thought crime <laughs> yeah if we don't see us again that was nice knowing you all um yeah come and visit us in the jail cell yeah off, off to the uh off to the detention camp with us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, well thanks once again for joining us robin and yeah once again we can find robin at her Substack empowered health is that correct uh, robinshooter.substack.com or visit my website empowertotalhealth.com.au Fantastic. All right, well, have a great weekend, the rest of it, and uh, we'll chat soon. We'll catch up soon. All the best. 
Remember how the big uh, stink that I made about uh, the Scottish hate crime law that wanted to give you seven years in jail just for possessing an offensive meme on your phone that made uh, Scotland the most authoritarian part of the United Kingdom and it made us tumble down several places. I think it was about 11 places we fell in the Freedom Index. Well, Ireland looked at that and thought, that sounds smashing. Why do we don't need rights? People don't need rights. Who needs rights? <laughs> Liberal democracies at work. Uh, new hate speech laws uh, kick up a storm in Ireland. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. has even taken aim at the proposed leg legislation, labelling it insane. Uh, Elon Musk even said the same thing as well. New laws aimed at curbing hate speech have sparked controversy in Ireland. The updated legislation will create landmark laws to deal with hate crimes, making it an offence to deny or trivialise genocide and expand protections to include gender identity and disability. Now there's an amazing part in this. I hope this article mentions it. If not, I'll mention it at the end. Uh, opponents of the criminal justice bill have raised concerns the charges go too far and will stifle free speech. They are, they, that's what they do by design. Stifling free speech is literally the point of it. Like, like I said, see how China's, China, you can't fucking say anything without getting your door kicked in, same as North Korea. Uh, it started as uh, bigotry laws. Uh, racist laws and blah 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 hate speech laws that's how they started and we're going down the same path you know li liberal democracy is authoritarianism driving the speed limit uh, however defenders say ireland's current legislation has been outstripped by the internet and contains significant blind spots <laughs> yeah we do have laws that let us infringe some rights but they don't let us infringe rights enough <laughs> yay government uh, Minister for Justice Helen McKenty, who first published the bill uh, currently making its way through the country's parliament, uh, hit back at claims that speech would be restricted. Hit back at, oh, I'm dying to hear this argument. Hate speech and freedom of speech are two separate things. <laughs> there it is, right away. <laughs> yes, uh, you do have freedom of speech, except for things that we deem to be hate speech. And what is hate speech? Well, it's whatever the government decides it is in the moment. It depends. What do I need right now? What do I need right now? I don't like that thing that the guy's saying. That's hate speech now. I've decided. It's honestly absolutely atrocious and stupid. Uh, with the former designed to shut people up and make them afraid. But this but this law doesn't do that, does it? That's That's what you're doing with this law. You're trying to shut people up and make them afraid. So you're doing the exact same thing. You're guilty of the very thing that you're complaining about. Politicians, man. They're not human. Uh, we are all horrified when we hear of homophobic, racist and other hateful incidents in our country, she said in October. While these repulsive acts of violence and abuse against innocent people, uh, those are already illegal, by the way. There's laws in that. Like, if I went to Ireland right now and I just, like, punched a random black guy, I'm going to jail, I would assume, at least. Uh, they're, all, they're all already illegal, right? And the point with criminals is they kind of don't care about the law, you know? Oh, is there a law now? Darn. Darn, I can't do it anymore. Ah, there's a law. There's an invisible force field that prevents it. You know, like, gun-free zones in America? You think the shooter's gonna turn up and see the sign and go, Fuck! Damn it! Try the next building. <laughs> That's fucking so stupid. Uh, we know that some people go about their lives constantly in fear of abuse, simply because of who they are. Yes, I can understand that feeling uh, the new law will introduce specific legislation to tackle hate crimes uh, well that's what it's going to start with trust me they're going to expand it every couple of years uh, until it finally gets to the final stage where you're not allowed to criticize the government 
Because what it, that's what see when it starts going. Oh, people are inciting hatred against politicians in the state, and that's causing bet, bet. Call me on that. I swear to God. Like, what's that remind me website? Put this into that. Right, that's going to happen eventually. Oh, you can't incite hatred against politicians, and then that's that'll be it. You can't criticize the government. There you are. You're done. Uh, and behaviour that is likely to incite violence or hatred, establishing penalties of up to five years in prison. Oh Jesus, well at least they didn't go for the full seven like they did here in Scotland. Victims of hate crimes are targeted due to prejudice against their age, ability, ethnicity, religion, nationality, sexual orientation or gender, buzzwords, buzzwords, buzzwords. Uh, it also makes it much easier to secure convictions for hate crimes because, oh, they just kept, those pesky motherfuckers kept getting away with using their rights, uh, by allowing prosecutors to rely on the use of hostile slurs, gestures, or symbols. Critics fear the changes could lead to politically incorrect views being censored, such as those around trans rights. Y yes, that's the plan. They turn around and say, oh, so you can't just go up to someone in the street and call them the N-word. Like, no, no, it's not. That's the public-facing reasons. That's the ones, because they can go to the members of the public and go, after all, you don't want people going around to, are you one of those racists and everything? And everyone will go, no, 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 I support, I support this law. Oh, of course, of course, yeah, I absolutely support this law. That's the public-facing reason. The real reason is to eventually absolutely crush dissent. Absolutely crushed dissent. And we've arrived at the point now where even journalists are feeling it. Even The Guardian is coming out with articles going like, uh, uh, things have got kind of bad, boys. <laughs> oh, man, and yep. Yes, they have. If only you were warned. Uh, some public figures have waded into the debate with Donald Trump Jr. calling the new law insane and Twitter boss Elon Musk branding it a massive attack on the freedom of speech. The legislation is long awaited. No, it's fucking yeah, long awaited by fucking elites that want to control the flow of information. Uh, Ireland currently does not have specific laws to deal with hate crimes, while its laws on hate speech are widely seen as archaic. I, I, I wish for a day where hate speech laws are seen as archaic. I hope for a time 50 years from now when, where civilization goes, oh, Jesus Christ, can you believe we used to do that? Uh, existing hate speech laws date back to 1989 with the prohibition of the Incite to Hatred Act. This makes it an offence to communicate threatening, abusive or insulting material that is likely to stir up hatred against a group of people. What does stir up mean? Ho ho ho, whatever the prosecutor fucking decides it is. And he doesn't have to prove it, doesn't have to prove it as well, at least that's how it works in Scottish courts. However, under this law, a person can defend themselves against charges by proving they did not intend to spread hatred. Now, let's, let's I hope it talks about this. Their defence can be based on not knowing the content of the materials or lacking a reason to suspect it, that it was threatening, abusive or insulting. The new law changes this, making one liable for a hate crime, even if they did claim they did not intend it. So, basically, the court then puts the onus on you. You are guilty until you prove yourself innocent. Uh, basically, the court makes an accusation. Now, the way it works is, if you're accused of murder or theft, the court can't just say, you stole that, prove you didn't, right? The court has to say, we think you stole this, and now it's our job to prove that you stole it. And then you can counteract any evidence that we've provided. No, the way it works is, is it puts the onus on the person. The court just has to say, you were going to spread hatred, and then it's that person's job to prove that they weren't. And if you've got a little meme in your phone where, you know, a communication device where you could send it anywhere, if you just say, no, I downloaded it and saved it on my phone, well, you downloaded and saved that. Why? You were going to post it, weren't you? So you could post it somewhere. Prove prove you weren't going to post it. That's the way the law works now. So, thought crime. 
That literally is thought crime where they say, we believe these, these are the thoughts you have. You can't prove that you weren't having those thoughts because how are we supposed to read your mind? So we're just going to establish that you were thinking these thoughts. You cannot prove to us that you were not thinking these thoughts. Boom, five years. Liberal democracy is authoritarianism driving the speed limit. Uh, the, the the new law changes this, but oh, I've just seen that. Uh, others were cautious about the bill. In general, we support those changes as they are designed to make the law more effective and protect vulnerable groups from attack, said the Irish Council for Civil, Li Civil Liberties in a statement sent to Euronews. However, we have been advocating to strengthen and make more explicit freedom of expression defences in the bill, and we are advocating against the inclusion of an offence that would criminalise the possession and preparation of material that would incite hatred. Uh advocating against i was about to say wait a minute <laughs> that's fine yeah they're a free speech group but i got a wee bit confused there uh, they suggested other forms of hate speech which might cause deep offense but do not reach the criminal threshold should be combated by other means including education and monitoring that's a strange free speech group no 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 you should be free to say it but then the government can spy on you <laughs> hmm not sure how i feel about that one yeah but the same thing that they done in Scotland, which made us fall in the Freedom Index, they're now doing it in Ireland as well. And the onus becomes completely on the accused, where basically the government just says, we believe these were the thoughts that were in your head. Prove that you weren't thinking this. How the fuck are you supposed to prove that you weren't thinking something? You would think, eh, I wasn't thinking it because I didn't do it. That You would think that would be enough, but no, it's not. Basically, they're making it impossible for you to defend yourself because they just want any reason to be able to lock you up. Are you becoming a little bit of a problem? Said too many naughty, naughty things about the state. Bye-bye, <laughs> off you go. And there's no way for you to defend yourself because you can't prove a negative. How do you prove what you were thinking in the moment? What are you supposed to do? Like, strap, strap a slideshow out of your fucking brain or something? Get one of those mind-reading helmets and project it on the fucking wall? What are you supposed to do? And they get, that's the thing is, the state, the government, the MPs, the politicians, they know there's nothing you can do about that. And that's the thing is, and what, what we can do is we can sit there and go, that's absolutely terrible that the government did that. What the fuck can we do about it? Nothing. There's fuck all we can do about it. However, there will come a time, you know, eventually when we take over, when we are going to have some fucking trials, boys. <laughs>